0: Good morning to you. Good morning. By way of introduction, oh, I'm really on this morning. <laughs> By way of introduction, I'd just like to draw your attention to two verses, please. as found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word. And healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, "He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses." My topic this morning is healing, divine healing. It is a topic that has invoked much debate and discussion over the years, and even in this present day. I have found in conversation with friends and family and associates over these last few months that the conversation doesn't go on very long until all of a sudden it turns to those who are ill. And it's not just confined to one particular fellowship, but it seems to be right across the board of the Christian church. And it is not just one individual in one particular fellowship, but as we talk and as we share, we are aware that the list is quite long. And we would have to admit, at times, every week that passes, it seems to be adding to. And in speaking to some who are going through what we would say, going through the mill, going through the experience, It would seem that they're feeling like the disciples in the boat in the midst of the storm. The waves are lapping in, that they're doing all they can to bail out, to keep afloat, to keep going. And in the back of their mind they're filled with that dread, that awful dread of that rogue wave that will come, that will swamp their boat and they will sink. The question of divine healing raises many subjects. But the one that comes to the fore, I feel, very much is the why question. For those who are going through the mill, they ask the question, why me? What have I done to deserve this? Why has God allowed this to happen to me? For some, the question is, well, why are some healed instantly and some are not some take a period of time, maybe weeks, months, even years, before they get their deliverance. But the biggest question of all in the why range is simply this, why some are healed and some are not. When I came into the ministry many years ago, the superintendent pastor of the work at that time was the late pastor David Matthews. He headed up a team of which I was part of. We went round the north of Ireland taking gospel campaigns. We saw people healed. We saw people saved. Pastor Matthew was greatly exercised in praying for the sick. We saw people who had illnesses for years coming and being prayed for and being set instantly free. Praise God. I have seen it. I have witnessed it. And yet, Pastor Matthews did not enjoy good health. Over a period of the best part of 30 years that I knew him, he always had health problems. And I remember on many occasions sitting in my front room in the house, talking to him about the subject, and he just simply would finish the conversation with, it's a mystery. For him, the why question was indeed a mystery, in particular concerning himself. And yet we remind ourselves of the Apostle Paul, a man who was used greatly in praying for the sick. He was even used in raising the dead, as we read of in Acts chapter 20. And yet this man asked of the Lord on three occasions for healing. And what did God say? As the words are recorded for us in 2 Corinthians 12 and 9, My grace is sufficient for thee. I would hasten to say that God answers prayer And sometimes it is not by bringing healing, but he gives us grace for the circumstances and situations we find ourselves in. But it is not my intention to try and answer the why question, for many have tried and failed, and I'm not going to attempt it this morning. But one thing we must realize, that God knows what he's doing. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't get it wrong. There are some who find themselves in difficulty because they didn't get the answer they were looking for and because they didn't get the answer, the right answer that they think it should be. They find themselves in limbo, unable to move on in life, unable to move on in the service of God. But we must take comfort surely from God's word what does Jeremiah say in chapter 29 verse 11 for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you plan to give you hope and a future Pastor Clifford said this morning it's in black and white we have it in God's word we have the right to stand upon it to accept it to believe it. Job writing in chapter 31. And we know Job. We know the story of Job. We know the trials and testings that he went through. Bereavement, loss of possessions, health, all that anyone could possibly face. And what does he say? Doth Speaking of God, doth not he see my ways and count all my steps? Job had this confidence in God that no matter what was going on in his life, God was watching over him. God was taking note of him. God was taking account of every step he took. The psalmist takes up a similar theme in Psalm 31 when he says, My times are in his hands. He experienced difficulties, testing, trials, but he was resting in God. Isaiah In chapter 55 says, regarding God, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. When God makes a decision, he's in possession of all the information. How often have we said it, you know, if I knew then what I know now, things would be different. But God is never found in that situation. And so when it doesn't work out the way we would like it, we have this assurance. God knows something we don't know. And he's planning the best for each and every one of us. The Apostle Paul takes up the theme, does he not, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 in which he writes, For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purposes. God knows what he's doing, and we must at times submit to his will and rest in him. But what brought me to this subject started some weeks ago. Pastor David on a Sunday morning read out quite a list of those who were in need of prayer for healing in this fellowship. And as he read out the names, they began to register with me. They wouldn't leave me. They stayed with me throughout the day, and even right up until the night, until I went to bed. And I fell asleep. And at 4 a.m. in the morning, the Lord woke me. The names were once again there. Once again, I thought upon them. Once again, I prayed. And at the end of my time of prayer, I just turned to the Lord and I asked the Lord, what are you doing? And as quickly as I asked the Lord the question, he answered me with a question. And he said, what is the church doing? And that set me off thinking, what could the church be doing? What should the church be doing? What does scripture tell us we should or could be doing? Not only did God direct us to the scriptures, but he took me for a trip down memory lane. He brought to my remembrance things that I had witnessed, things that I had grew up with as a young person in the church. And it is those things I wish to leave with you this morning as a means of encouragement, as a means of instruction. And the first thing he brought before me was simply this. Persistence got the desired result. I just want to read a few verses in Luke chapter 11. And for the sake of time, we'll just read from verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Jesus, in the opening verses of this chapter, is found in prayer. He's found with his disciples. There's no multitude around them. There's nobody clamoring for their attention. There's nobody seeking ministry. And the disciples approach Jesus and they say to him, Master, teach us how to pray as John taught his disciples. And Jesus teaches them what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. And having taught them that prayer, he immediately presents to them this particular parable. And so often we read God's word, we read the words but the challenge is to each and every one of us that we not only read the words but we hear what's being said. And Jesus was endeavouring to make a point a very important point to the man who would carry the responsibility of spreading the word of God throughout the then known world. And it was this, persistence. Persistence gets the desired result. We are well aware of the story. A man comes knocking at his friend's door at midnight. What has happened? Someone has come knocking at his door late in the evening. And I feel he's a bit like old Mother Hubbard. He went to the cupboard and there was nothing there. He needed something to feed his visiting friend. The shops were closed. What does he do? Where does he go? And he thinks of his friend. And he says, I'll go to his house. He has what I need. He'll help me out. And he makes his way to his friend's house. And he begins to knock. And the response that comes from within the house is simply this. Go away. Don't disturb me. I'm in bed with my kids. Come back some other time. But this man had gone on a mission. He had gone with purpose. He had gone with resolve. He had gone with determination. He wasn't going to leave. He wasn't going to be put off. And he kept knocking. And as I thought of this, I thought of the blind Bartimaeus that we read of in Mark chapter 10. You remember, he asked the crowd, well, what's happening? And they said, Jesus is passing by. And he starts to call out to Jesus. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. The crowd's reaction was, be quiet. You're making a nuisance of yourself. You're disturbing the peace. You're spoiling the atmosphere. But what does Bartimaeus do? It says he cried even the louder. And you know, I feel as this man is standing knocking on this door at 12 o'clock at night, having heard The rebuke shall I say, go away, don't disturb me. The knocks get louder. The call gets louder. And he is determined. He has come to get three loaves of bread. He knows that sitting on the bench in the kitchen of that house is the loaves of bread that he needs. And he's not going away until he gets gets what he came for. He knocks. He calls. The Bible said, Because of importunity. The dictionary defines importunity importunity as persistent, troublesome, not to be repulsed or put off. This was this man's determination. And he knocked and he knocked and he knocked. He didn't care if he disturbed the house, he didn't care if he woke the children, he didn't care if he disturbed the whole street. He had a need. And he had come to a a source where that need could be met. He didn't come with an attitude, well, say, well, I might get one loaf. I might get two loaves. It'd be a miracle if I get three. But he came with that confidence and that assurance that what he needed, he would get at that particular house. And he called and he knocked. And it says that the man within. Not because he was his friend, but because of his continuous knocking. Because of his persistence, he opened the door and he gave him what he needed. How persistent, how committed, how determined are we when we come knocking at God's door? This was what Jesus was endeavoring to instill in the hearts of his disciples. If they didn't get the reality of this, how was the church going to get it? Friends, Jesus is clearly saying when we come, we come with determination. We come with purpose. We come with confidence. And we knock. And we knock. And we knock. Even to the state of being troublesome or being embarrassing. We come and we knock. And when we come and when we knock, Jesus is clearly saying we will get the results. God will be moved to meet the need. I think back over convention meetings. I think of conventions that were run for several days and there were many prayer lines. And my thoughts go back to some comments that were made at such occasions. And people would say, well, it doesn't matter how many prayer lines there'll be over this convention. They can tell you the names of certain people who'll be in every prayer line. And God spoke to me, and he said they had the right attitude. They came, maybe the first prayer line. They asked. They didn't get what they came for. So they're coming again, and they're coming again. And even if it causes conversation and embarrassment, they were going to keep coming until they got what God Uh, had to give them. Not only does persistence get the desired result, but faithful friends with faith got the desired results. We read in Mark chapter 2, some verses please. And we read the first five verses. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house and immediately many gathered together so that there was no room longer room to receive them not even near the door and he preached the word then they came to him bringing a man sick of palsy I've lost my place And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the sick of the palsy was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick of the palsy, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And then, verse 11, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house immediately he arose, took up the bed and went out in the presence of them all so that all were amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Can we imagine the (coughs) circumstances, excuse me, the circumstances, the situation that is presented to us here? A man, he is paralyzed. Whether it is from birth we're not told. Whether it is the result of sickness, we're not told. Whether it is the result of an accident, we're not told. But this man is in need. He's unable to do for himself. He's unable to help himself. But he's very fortunate in that he has faithful friends. Friends who are interested in him. Friends who are concerned about him. Friends who are prepared to do what needs to be done to help him, to make his life as bearable and as productive as possible. And as I think of this man, and I think of him having good friends, I feel I can justify by saying that he must have sought medical help. Like the little lady that we read of in Luke chapter 8, who suffered with the issue of blood for 12 years, who had spent all that she had on physicians, but instead making progress. She got worse. Perhaps this was the situation with this man. We're not told, but I think it's within reason to think possible. And as his friends looked upon him, how long he had been ill, we're not told. It may have been years. I am suspecting years. And each day as their friends visited as each day they viewed him, having taken him to the physicians, having tried to find help from other sources, and not succeeding. They viewed him, his situation getting worse day by day, his ability to be able to do what little he could do, getting less and less. And they come to the resolve. Something has to be done. Enough is enough. Action needs to be taken, and whatever it takes, we're prepared to take it. Whatever obstacles have to be overcome, we're prepared to get over them. At that moment in time, they may not have known what to do or how to approach it, but then they hear, Jesus is in the midst. Jesus is in the vicinity, and they resolve, well, this is the answer we need. This is the man who's going to solve our friend's problems. And so they lift him on his bed, come stretcher, and they set off on their journey. And they make their way to the house where Jesus is, and they meet their first obstacle, people. People, they're a blessing at times. Can I say at other times they're a hindrance? These people were a hindrance. I can well imagine these friends trying to persuade the people that were gathered to make room, to make space, to let them through. But there was no giving in them. They were there to sightsee. They were there for their own benefit. They were there for whatever reason. But they weren't there to see this man healed. And so they had to make a decision. What do we do? Do we come back at a later date? Or do we try something else? Procrastination, I believe, is the ruination of man. For the unsaved, they will admit to you they need saved, but I'll get saved tomorrow. They keep putting off. But God's word said, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. But that verse equally applies to the Christian church because there are many Christians who, when God speaks, when God gives direction, they say, well, it's not convenient today. No, I'll do it tomorrow, or I'll do it later on. But God says, when God prompts, when God says to you to do it today, he means you to do it today. He says today is the day for that particular task. We put off. It's natural. And yet God warns us we're not guaranteed tomorrow. No one knows what a day may bring forth. For these four friends, they weren't going to be put off. They weren't going to say, well, I'll come back another day, a more convenient time. We're not told how they did it, but they ended up on the roof, and they started to dismantle the roof. And I can well imagine those who were standing outside the building, hearing the noise, looking at them, and thinking, they're a group of vandals, they're house wreckers. they're destroyers. But these four men, they didn't care. They didn't care what names they called them. They didn't care what they said about them. They were there with one goal, with one aim, and it wasn't for their own benefit. It was the benefit of their friend. And when they had removed the tiles, when they had uncovered the roof, they lowered their friend down on ropes in front of Jesus. And what are we told? It says in verse 5, When Jesus saw their faith... Jesus took note, not of the faith of the man lying on the stretcher, but the faith of those who had uncovered the roof, those who had carried him to the house, those who had lowered him down. And God was moved, and God healed, and God honored their faithfulness. They got the desired result that they were looking for. For many of us, when we're in the midst of difficulty, when we're in the midst of sickness, when we feel we're in that valley experience, when our faith at times is in our boots, when the ability to pray is almost impossible, at times all we can say is help, Lord, As all the words we can put together, then God brings faithful friends. Friends who are faithful, friends who are full of faith, Claire mentioned it last Sunday about God waking different people and telling them to pray for Claire at certain times. Waking them at odd hours, but the news got to Claire and she could identify that at that time she was going through this experience. And because of the prayers of faithful people, God met the need. We all have been there. We all have been in need of prayer. We all have been in need of help. Faithful friends not only can pray, they can support They can encourage. I often think back to conventions where we encouraged those who were coming forward to prayer to bring friends with them. Somebody to stand with them. Somebody to be beside them. that they're not standing in a line of strangers. There's a familiar face with them, supporting them, helping them. And I believe that as they did, friends did so, God honored their faith. God met their needs. Faithful friends with, with faith got the desired results. And then a handkerchief sent got the desired results. In Acts chapter 19, verses 11 and 12. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hand of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, And the disease left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Sending handkerchiefs. It is one of those ministries that I grew up with as a young man in the church. It was one that was practiced not now and again, but on a regular basis. It seems to have almost disappeared at this moment in time. But I remember the late brother David Greeno. This was one area of his particular ministry. I think back over a period of some 30 years. And during that time, Brother David was a regular visitor at my church. He preached regularly throughout the year on Sundays. And at least once a year, he would have taken a weekend special for me. And when it came to praying for the sick, he always came prepared with the little squares of material in his Bible folder. And when requests were made, he went and produced them. We laid hands on them. We prayed over them. We sent them to the one in need. And the reports came back how God honored faithfulness, how God honored his word, how God met his needs. I was reminded of a faithful Sunday school teacher who adopted the same attitude. If some of the Sunday school children were ill, She would come to the eldership with her handkerchief. She would ask for prayer. And then, suitably armed with the handkerchief and a large safety pin, she set off and would have visited the house of the child in question. She would have explained to the parents her reason for visiting, her purpose, and she would have pinned the handkerchief to the child's clothing. And the number of reports, positive reports, that she brought was amazing. How God even touched the little children. How he healed them. How he raised them up. And the testimony that that brought even into a house where parents were non-believers was amazing. But also, God reminded me of one occasion I was leading a church service, not my own church. The leading was, of the Spirit, was to pray for the sick and to pray over handkerchiefs. And I hadn't come prepared. I had two hankies in my pockets, and one of them wasn't too clean. So <laughs> I was in a bit of a predicament. And I said to the deacon at the back of the hall if he would bring me some serviettes from the kitchen. And we used the serviettes. People responded. A grandmother came forward for prayer for her granddaughter, who was anorexic. And such was her illness. She wasn't able to attend school or anything else. Others came forth for other members of their families. We prayed. There were only serviettes, but we prayed over them. We sent them. And the deaconess from the church, she kept me informed over the following couple of weeks of the positive results that came about. God honored the prayers and faithfulness of his people and of his word. Handkerchief sent got the desired result. But also faithful prayer got the desired result. For we read in James 5, verses 14 and 15, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sin, he will be forgiven. The Apostle James, in these two verses, I believe he throws out a challenge to us. To the one who are called upon to minister. To the one who is in need. I find that to be called upon to minister in this way is an awesome responsibility. It is a privilege that God should choose to use someone like me to do this work. The challenge for me is where do I stand regarding my faith? How strong is my faith? How is my relationship with God? This is not something to be taken lightly. This is not something to be taken as a matter of fact. It is an awesome responsibility. God calls us as leaders at times, sometimes to ask for those in need of prayer to come forward, as Pastor Clifford did this morning. Sometimes he prompts us to walk off the platform, to make our way to where the person is sitting, to pray for them. That's quite an order. But yet, James puts the responsibility upon the one in need. For he says, Is anyone sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. I think of blind Bartimaeus as he stood before Jesus. Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus says that I might receive my sight. Jesus knew what he needed. He didn't need to ask. He wasn't ignorant of the fact, but he needed a confession, a vocal expression, a vocal confession of what was needed. And I believe God is challenging us here in this verse. Sick among you, let them call. Let them take that step of faith. Let them ask the leadership of the fellowship and stand upon God's word and come forth and let them be anointed and let them be prayed over. And God's word says, and the prayer of faith will bring about the desired result. Praise his wonderful name. Isaiah speaking in chapter 53 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. The Apostle Peter takes up the same theme in 1 Peter chapter 2 when he writes, By whose stripes you were healed. I am amazed, I am thrilled at the positiveness of the statement in those two verses. By his stripes we are healed, by whose stripes you were healed. Our healing is already secured. We just need to claim it. Praise his wonderful name. Malachi in chapter 3 has recorded for us a statement made by God. When God is saying, for I am the Lord, I change not. Many things change over the years. Practices, programs, and so on. But God says, I don't change. As I was with Abraham, so I am with you. We are reminded of the conversation he had with Abraham in Genesis chapter 18, verse 14. And what does God say to Abraham? He's told Abraham they're going, he's going to have a family. And Abraham is, I don't know what he was actually thinking, but he was thinking about his age of himself and Sarah and the impossibility of it. And God says to Abraham, Is anything too hard for the Lord? We quote that verse and we say, Nothing is too hard for the Lord. But when the, we are faced with a challenge, Sometimes we fail, is this too hard for the Lord? But we take courage in his word this evening that he said, nothing is too hard for the Lord. We are reminded of the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 9, in which Jesus says, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believe. I believe the message what God would leave with us this morning is this when we stand upon his word, when we do what he instructs us, what he tells us to do, then God will do what only God can do. God directing my thoughts to Jacob. We are familiar with that particular scene when Jacob is wrestling with the Lord. He has wrestled all night with the Lord. He has struggled all night with the Lord. And the Lord says, let me go. And Jacob says, no. I'll not let you go until you bless me. He had the right attitude. He had the right determination. No matter what else, he was going to hold on to God until the Lord blessed him. And you know, I believe God wants to save. I believe God wants to heal. I believe God wants to move in a mighty way among his people. I believe God wants to bring revival to this land. But I also believe God is waiting on his people. God is waiting on us. God has everything in place. He has his plans made. He knows how he's going to do it. He knows what he's going to do. But he's waiting on his people. And if we will respond to God, I believe we will see tremendous miracles. We will see tremendous happenings. And then, like those of old, we'll be able to say, this is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Thank you.